Cuando te sientes a comer con un gobernante, fíjate bien en lo que tienes ante ti. Si eres dado a la glotonería, domina tu apetito. No codicies sus manjares, pues tal comida no es más que un engaño. No te afanes acumulando riquezas, no te obsesiones con ellas. ¿Acaso has podido verlas? No existen. Es como si les salieran alas, pues se van volando como las águilas. No te sientes a la mesa de un tacaño, ni codicies sus manjares, que son como un pelo en la garganta. Come y bebe, te dirá, pero no te lo dirá de corazón. Acabarás vomitando lo que hayas comido y tus cumplidos no habrán servido de nada. Proverbs 23, 1-8 When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for it suddenly sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the, the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning, church. Uh, so good to, to be with you again. Uh, I had the privilege a couple weeks ago, it was a holiday weekend, so maybe some of you are missing. I'll introduce myself. Uh, but it's so fun to be with you. That, I was talking about the, the vice of greed and money, then at least we're not doing that today. So uh, thank God for that. Um, but I'm Nathan. Uh, I'm one of your pastors. I ha have the joy of uh, working across all of our campus. I spend more of my time out in uh, Olathe at our campus there. Um, but when Gabe stepped out for sabbatical for a little bit, and we're so glad he's being rested and refreshed, ready to come back. Uh, but he asked if I'd uh, come and fill in so we don't completely destroy Tyler or run him into the ground, even though Tyler's such, such an awesome pastor, isn't he? Um, but so glad to be with you. One of the things, I, even just listening to the, the, the new members up here, I mean, I, just, I love being a part of Christ community. I love uh, that we get to be across our city in five campuses. And part of my role is to kind of see and, and know and experience those, those campuses and, and, and to, to know that every campus is so different. And, and here downtown, you have your own sort of culture and context, and it's beautiful to see and the vibrancy that's here. Uh, and yet, uh, at the same time, like the things that were set up here um, are what are, are set at all of our membership moments. Um, it, it, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That the core of who we are um, is, is the same across all of our campus. That's our desire um, on mission together in this place. So again, thanks for letting me be a part of this. I'm excited to be here with you. Let me pray, uh, and we'll jump into God's word this morning. God, what a joy it is to be uh, with your people in this space. God, we love our city. Um, we love uh, the work that you're doing here in this space, right here um, with these people, uh, as well as the things you're doing across our city at all of our campuses. God, help us to be faithful as your church, and I, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would depend on you, Lord Jesus, to speak, Holy Spirit, to root these things deep within our hearts, uh, convict us, but give us hope in the gospel, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name, amen. Well, again, most of you probably uh, don't know hardly anything about me. I'm sorry about that. That's always an awkward thing, teaching. It was really bad with money, you know, like you don't know me, but let's talk about money. Um, uh, but one, one of the things, like if you were to get to know me, like spend 10 minutes with me, you would probably quickly realize that I love food. 
Like I just, I love food. Food is one of my, that's one of my hobbies. It's one of the, like the driving forces in my life. In fact, I probably have a little bit of a food problem, uh, which is one of the reasons why I love Jim Gaffigan so much. Like his most recent book, you guys know Jim Gaffigan, right? Comedian. Like this is his most recent book, the, the cover of which he's, he's marrying a hot dog. Okay. Um, and it's called Food, a Love Story. It is, I'm not, it's a 352 page love letter to food. He loves food. And in fact, it's, it is as close to like a food Bible. I've listened to it. I love it. Uh, he's, he's, he reads the, uh, the, the audio version, so I'd highly recommend it, um, especially if you're kind of a food nut. Um, but like, he, it's, it's like a food Bible. He ends, I'm not making this up or exaggerating, like he ends with a benediction. Like, you know how we like end our services with like a prayer of blessing? Like, you know, you know we do that, right? Um, some of you, if you've been here. Um, he does the same. Like, he literally ends the book basically by saying, may your coffee be strong, your cheese be sharp, and your guacamole be chunky. Amen, right? Like, I kind of want to go to that church, don't you? It's like, that's, that's me. And so, like, I, I see that, I read that, you hear his, 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 his uh, stand-up, and it makes me feel a little bit better about my problem, right? Because at least I'm not, I'm not like that. But I tell you what, I, I love food. I daydream about food. There are times when I plan my days or my weeks around food. Um, I exercise just so that I can eat more food, right? <laughs> and I, I eat when I'm happy. I eat when I'm bored, uh, lonely, tired, anxious, afraid. I eat just because it feels good. And sometimes, believe it or not, I eat when I'm hungry, right? I mean, that's just kind of, it's kind of what we do, isn't it? I love I love food. And even, even just think about how many food-related posts there are on social media. Man, we love food, don't we? Think of all the different magazines that you can subscribe to, all the different websites, all the different TV shows that are food-based. I mean, it's basically, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's food porn, right? I mean, we, we have a problem, don't we? And, and even like more seriously, like think about, think about obesity, Type 2 diabetes, heart disease, alcoholism. You know, we abuse this stuff, don't we? We could talk about eating disorders, kind of on the other side, right? Anorexia, bulimia, all the body image obsession that we deal with as a people. We could talk about new diets and old diets and fad diets. I mean, we could, we could go in any number of directions, couldn't we? But as we look at this, this topic this morning, let me just say, Two things are true, just as we start. First of all, I think culturally, I think everybody in this room, I think we know this, whether you struggle with it personally, like we know that food is a problem, like in our culture. Maybe, maybe not you personally, like, but we see it. We know the ramifications that we, we don't handle food well. And so whether you're a Christian or not, we can all agree there, right? Food, food has some sort of control over us. But then the second thing that I think is true that I'm absolutely convinced about, we know food is a problem, but we almost never equate that problem with sin, like, I'll, I'll worry when I overeat about the scale, but I almost never worry about what it's doing to my soul. Like, we, we stress about heart disease and healthy living, and, and rightly so, right? But we forget that there is a bigger disease going on in each one of us inside our, our hearts. And the things that we can do or expect food to do for us. I mean, come on, Nathan. Are you, are you saying that if I eat too much ice cream, that can send me to hell. Mmm, ice cream. <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought for a second there. Um, no, I'm not saying that. But what's, what sends us to hell 
what condemns us, is asking anything but Jesus to save us. Turning to anything but Jesus to make us whole, right? To fill us, to tell us that, that life is, 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 worth, is worth living. That's the definition of sin. And we can do that with any of these vices, even food. All right, so we got to back up a second because some of you, if like you're new here, you're a guest with us this morning, you're like, why are we talking about this, right? What on earth? What is wrong with this church? Um, obsessed with food. Um, or maybe it's just me. You just assume I have the problem and you're, you're probably right. Uh, but we, we've been in this series, right? These last several weeks together, we're almost to the end of it. We have one week left. Tyler's going to bring us home with our, everybody's favorite topic, right? Lust. Um, <laughs> thank God I'm not doing that one. Um, I mean, gluttony's hard enough. Um, that's next week, so, you know, be here, be ready, be excited. Uh, not too excited, though. Um, <laughs> sorry. But gluttony, sorry. Go back to the script, Nathan. Um, we've been in this series on the deadly sins, right? These vices and virtues. And we, we've said throughout, right, these aren't the worst things that you can do, but they are the habits of the heart that shape us, that form us. It's the, the people that we're becoming. And, and when you get to the list, right, and this list has existed for 1,500 years, it's a long time as Christians. And you, when you get to gluttony, it's sort of like, really? Like, okay, envy, anger, you know, even, even lust or vainglory. It's, but, but, but gluttony? It just seems kind of out of place, doesn't it? But gluttony isn't just a love of food. Gluttony is the endless pursuit of pleasure above everything else. It's, it's a life that's, that's dedicated to the quest for superficial satisfaction. And, and that's why, and please hear me with this one. I just like set it, set it out there right away. This is not just the vice of the overweight. That's, so if you're like, well, I don't deal with this, or maybe he's talking to me. It's not just the vice of the overweight. Nor, like, if you're skinny, are you off the hook with this one? No, this is a vice for anyone who asks food to make them feel okay. It's a vice for anyone tempted to believe that the perfect cheeseburger or the perfect health food diet just might give me the life I'm looking for. And if you take just one thing with you this morning, I hope it's this. Our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Like if, that's, if you want to take one thing with you, let it be that. Our hunger, the, 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 the drive within us can never be satisfied with food. And so we're going to organize our thoughts uh, around three ideas uh, this morning. Just, I like having outlines. That's how my brain thinks. So let me give you the outline first and then we'll jump into it. But first off, we're going to look at food is more than fuel. Uh, second, food can never fill you. And third, of course, thank God, food can be redeemed. But if you expect food to satisfy you, you will always be hungry. Okay, first of all, first off, food is more than fuel. It's more than fuel. It's more than just a neutral commodity that gives our bodies energy to survive. It's more than that. I mean, even, even biblically, like, if you, you look all across scripture, I mean, food is a tremendous gift. Food was, was God's idea, and he made it very good, didn't he? I mean, so like we could start in the garden, right? Right away, Genesis chapter two. What, is, what does God do? He plants a garden that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. Right away, you see that. I mean, even, even think of, like God could have made us without the need to, to eat. 
Like, if he's, you know, he's starting from scratch there. He's designing human beings. He could have made us like plants, right? We get our energy from the, the sun and turn food. He could have made food boring or bland. He could have made us without taste buds or olfactories. But he made it awesome, didn't he? And, and not just awesome. Like, he made food, like the raw ingredients, like the material so good. But then he made us humans so brilliant with it, Right? That we could put, you know, combine things and like, like magic happens with food, doesn't it? It's incredible. That was, that was God's idea, okay? Don't, don't, don't forget that. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop there with creation. Like we could trace all throughout the entire scriptures, uh, the, the history of these, these feasts and celebrations. Like it was a regular thing, a regular part of God's people's culture that they would feast and celebrate. Their, their commands to feast, or we could, we could look at, at the ways food was used as a bridge towards relationships. You see that everywhere. Towards, towards building families and, and communities, towards celebration and, and hospitality. That food plays a central role. We could, we could talk about Jesus' first miracle. Hey, I mean, you know what his first miracle was, right? Like he made wine at a party that ran out of wine because they'd already drank all the wine, Right? That, that was his debut celebration miracle, right? Jesus did that. Or the fact that he takes communion, right? This earthy symbol, this, this, this bread and wine, as ordinary as that. And he, he says, this, this is the dominant symbol for the most important event in all of human history. He uses food for that. And the fact, of course, that all of history, we believe as Christians, is moving towards another feast, right? Somewhere off in the horizon that there is a wedding supper of the Lamb in store for us where, where not just a feast of, of food, but a feast in which you and I will be made whole and, and, and delight in God our Savior eating there with him. People, food and drink are good. I mean, they're, they're sacramental even, worshipful, spiritual, I mean, so many, so many religions, if you think about it, so many religions are anti-pleasure. You know, no, 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 don't enjoy. You know, it's all, all to be put aside, that kind of thing. Not, not ours. Are you kidding? I mean, Jesus, our founder, was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, that's, that's the guy I want to follow, right? I mean, I want, I want to follow him. And, and so why did, why did God make it like this? Why did he make it so good? Why did he make us to need food? Why? I think there's probably a lot that could be said, but let me give three quick reasons to kind of set the, set the pace for us. First of all, I think God made us to, to require food, to require daily dependence on him. It's a, it's a reminder, right? That we are daily dependent, that we need something. And so we pray for daily bread, right? It's part of our, our tradition that we, we need it. We're forced to depend on God for food. Second, I'm convinced he made it for community, celebration, what we said, right? To build relationships, I mean, we all know what sharing a meal does for a relationship. There's something that changes when you break bread together. And, and third, ultimately, just as he made everything that's good, right, he made it to give us a glimpse of how beautiful and delightful and good he is. Like everything good, right, whether it's, whether it's sex or mountains or food, right, it is all made to point us to him as the glorious giver of all good things. But gluttony... Gluttony looks at all that and just chucks it aside. Gluttony takes those, those reasons that, that God has, has made it and made it good and good for us and he's, it, it makes food an end, an end in itself. That's why these words in Proverbs are so severe. I don't know if you were, you were listening as we, we heard those words. Let me read part of it again and a little bit more. 
But in Proverbs 23, the writer, he starts off, I mean, such vivid language. He says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what's before you and put a knife to your throat, right? If you are given to appetite, like if your appetites take over. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. And skip to verse 8. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. We could go on further in the chapter. Verse 20, it says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. These are, these are strong words. And there's a whole lot that the author is communicating with, with those words. But at the very least, like, you just can't miss it. Like, if you can't control your desire for food and drink, it will enslave you. It, it can take, like, the appetite can begin to, to rule you and control you. And not just, not just physically, but your whole life. Which I, which I know, it sounds extreme to think, well, come on. I love food, but it's not going to destroy me, is it? Not my soul, at least. But what, what exactly is gluttony? Because it's not just overeating. It's probably what we think of, right? It's just one too many trips to the buffet. And that's, that's part of it, but that's not all that it is. Uh, we sat down. We've done this throughout the series with our kids. They're 10 and 8 at the dinner table because I'm working on these sermons during the week and we're talking about our day and et cetera and um, end up talking about them and trying to explain what, what they are and, and gluttony is probably a word they'd never even heard before. Uh, and so I tried to like break it down to them, my wife and I, as simply as we could as we were explaining it to them and, and simply put, gluttony is loving food too much. It's not necessarily about how much you eat. It's, it's the heart, right? It's loving food too much. It's asking it to do too much for you. It's depending on it for more than it can give. It's saying to it, satisfy me, make me happy, right? Tell me my life is okay. It's not, a, it's not wrong to enjoy food. It's, it's when your obsession grows. It's, it's when this good gift becomes an end instead of a means. It's when we begin to worship the food instead of the one who gave it to us. And so I said all that to my kids. Um, and without hesitation, Eden, uh, our little girl, she paused and kind of sat back in her chair and said, oh, that's our family's vice. <laughs> She's eight. <laughs> and it hurts. But she's right. She knows what we love. And I'm guessing you know what you love as well, right? If you don't ask the eight-year-olds in your life, right? <laughs> Rebecca DeYoung writes, the glutton eats for himself and his mission is to gratify his own appetites. His mission, like his, his drive in life is pleasure first and he orders the rest of his life around that goal. His God is his belly and he serves it faithfully. It's a, the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. You know, Jacob and Esau, like these twin brothers, Esau's the oldest and, and Esau, he, he comes home and he's so hungry, he sells his birthright, which culturally, like for them, that's, he sells his identity. Like he sells the most important thing about him in that culture for a bowl of lentil stew. And ultimately it's because like what he wants, that's gluttony, right? It's what he wants now trumps even what he knows he's gonna want more in the future. Like, he knows, like, this is a bad idea. He's got to know, right? This is dumb, but, I'm, but that immediate satisfaction is more important than whatever it is down in the road, down in the future for us. Even though our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Which leads to the second thing. Food is, is more than fuel, and yet um, food can never fill you. 
We were never meant to be filled with food. Not in the spiritual sense. Food is good, but it's not God. And and so the real danger with gluttony is that we can very easily begin asking food and alcohol, right? They often go together, um, to do what only God can do. You know, we can subtly say, food, just tell me it's going to be okay. Tuck me in at night. Help me forget or at least ignore my problems, my inadequacies, my shame, my fear. Food, would you please save my wounded soul? Oh, come on. Nobody's going to do that. You're not going to pray to food. You're not going to ask it to save you. Of course not. And yet, let me just ask, when's the last time you've turned to food or alcohol for comfort? When's the last time you've asked those things to do what God promises to do for you? To keep you company when you're lonely or bored? To make you happy when you're feeling sad? To cheer you up when you're calm? Or to make you calm when you're, when you're anxious or feeling ashamed? When's the last time you've done that? Frederick Buechner writes, a glutton is one who raids the icebox looking for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. Think about that. The glutton is the one who goes to the fridge looking for the cure for his soul, ultimately. Looking for something so much more. You see, the glutton, the glutton ignores Jesus' words. I mean, Jesus was tempted by food, like right? Like truly tempted to a point of, of tempted towards sin, right? This is seen uh, in the wilderness early on in, in Jesus's ministry. And I mean, you know, give the guy a break. He was fasting for 40 days. Uh, but still, like he was tempted, tempted by food. And what does Jesus say in the most, midst of that temptation? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We cannot live on bread only, but the glutton tries. The, glut, the glutton wants to live on bread alone, and the glutton turns to food and drink instead of to Christ. I mean, similarly, Paul writes about this. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, that's strong language, but look how he says it. Their end is destruction. That's where they're headed. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. They're with minds set on on earthly things. I mean, this is, this is way more serious than many of us t- uh, come to this subject with, at least for me, as I, as I began my research and studying on this. And so before we move on, maybe a little bit of self-diagnosis. Like, do I really struggle with this vice? Because it's okay to enjoy food, right? It's okay to, 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 you know, want to bond over food and the meals. It tastes good. God made it good. But, but how, how do we know if we're, if we're really struggling with this vice? Well, gluttony, gluttony can take different forms, because the reality is you can eat very little and be a glutton. Uh, You can be healthy, have the perfect body, um, only shop organic or whatever diet happens to be hippest at the moment and still be a glutton. It's not about how much you eat. It's about what you try to get out of it right? It's not, about, it's not about the amount of food. It's about, it's about what you're expecting to receive from it. So, so DeYoung in her book, she, she points out five forms of, of gluttony. I found this really helpful because it does take different pictures, some of them I'd never seen before. Uh, and she uses the acronym FRESH. So if you want to memorize the list, a little easier. Eating fresh. It's bad. Uh, fastidiously, 
ravenously, excessively, sumptuously, and, and hastily. And none of, these, none of these things are wrong in themselves, but when they become an obsession or a driving force in our lives, it's, it's a problem. And so uh, fastidiously, that's the one that caught me off guard the most. This is the ultra picky or snooty eater. Hmm. You don't think of that with glutton, do you? Uh, not at all. They may not eat a lot. Maybe they eat like a bird, but it always has to be perfect. Exactly what they ordered, exactly what they want, exactly right all the time. Cooked a certain way, grown a certain way, only a certain, like a narrow list of foods. Or, or maybe this person could have the attitude like, if I just eat right, if I eat the right healthy foods, then I can live forever, right? It's almost the quest for immortality through, through the right diet. Nothing wrong with being a little picky or healthy, certainly, Right? But when it becomes a driving force, it can, it can replace God in our lives. And so don't, don't forget to be thankful for daily bread, even if it's not what you want or what you like. Sometimes just eat, eat what's given to you. Ravenously, uh, a little self-explanatory, right? Eating without regard for anyone else. This is the greedy eater, the biggest portion, right? Stay out of your line, way uh, in the, the buffet line kind of thing. Uh, excessively, that's what most of us think of, just eating too much, too much of the time. Uh, sumptuously, that's a little bit different. I hadn't uh, thought about this one before. It's, it, you may not overeat, uh, but you work hard to eat only the best, most satisfying parts. Like the driving force for you is not so much the food, it's the feeling of being full. So you don't have to necessarily eat a lot. You just want to feel satisfied deep. Like you just want to feel full. Like you want to have to loosen your belt occasionally, right? It's that sort of um, obsession. And, and hastily, hastily, you know, just hand me a shovel kind of thing. But again, friends, our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Enjoy it. Thank God for it. Just don't ask it to fill you. Don't ask it to do what only Jesus can do. And so finally then, what's the, what's the solution? Food can be redeemed, but how? How do we redeem? If we see that it's a problem, we see that it's a bigger problem than just our physical bodies, but even our, to our souls, how do we redeem it? How do we make it better again? Uh, well, it comes with, comes with learning some of the old-fashioned virtues that we've been talking about with this series, right? A word like temperance, not one we use very often, self-control, moderation, discipline. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, there, there are three practical ways, I think, for us to put food back in its place. Still enjoying it, um, but enjoying it in the right order. So let me mention these, these three. First, first, pursue contentment with daily bread. As this begins, it just learn to be satisfied with simple. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be excessive. Like just thank God that you've been kept alive for another day, that you have enough food for another day. Learn to say no occasionally. I mean, really, if you think about it, you and I in our culture, like we almost never deny ourselves any pleasure, right? Almost never. Like if we want it and it feels good, we go after it and we get it. But if we never deny ourselves, we'll never be content either. Saying no once in a while helps us enjoy what we do have. Uh, it reminds us of our dependence on God, that he is the one who feeds us, and it increases our gratitude to him. Saying no also reveals what's actually going on in your heart, what you're, what you're asking food to do for you, because if you say, well, I'm going to not have any sweets for the next month, right, or, or no alcohol for me for the next, or no meat, or, or you, you'll find out, like, take those things out of your life, and the person you become, right, um, may not be great, Right? because we're asking those things to do certain things for us. And so saying no can help us see what it is we're asking food to do that we should be asking Jesus to do instead. 
One of the oldest disciplines in the fight against gluttony, um, and against many sins, not just gluttony, is, is fasting. Uh, say no to food to depend on Christ. Like, I, I don't need to eat. And you need to eat, but I don't need to eat, right? I don't, I don't live on bread alone. It's, it's saying no to depend on him, to, to see what's in there, right? What God reveals to you to remember um, that we need something more than food and to teach ourselves self-control. And so here's the next step. If anybody wants to join me um, on this, we just want to be practical with this, and I need this in my life, let's, let's fast tomorrow. Or maybe next, or, you know, a few days later, if that's, Monday doesn't work for you, and Come, come with. And I'm not saying that as like, look at me, I'm fasting, aren't I great? No, I'm saying I have a problem and I need, I need to do this. And let's, let's do it together, church. Let's try this out. Um, if you're new to fasting, it's not necessarily the, the easiest or most intuitive discipline. Um, so let me just tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch, no snacking. Um, but I'm still going to have a normal dinner with my family because I also think that's important uh, when it comes to food. And so we'll, we'll talk about that more uh, in a second. But that's what I'm going to do. Um, come with if you want to. Um, and w- if you do, I would encourage you, every time you feel hungry, because you will, or agitated or tired or like blood sugar, you know, or whatever it is, um, instead of letting it drive you down, stop for a moment and thank God for being your sustenance. God, thank you for being more than bread in my life, for being my strength, my satisfaction, for being a better savior than food. And see what God teaches you about your, your love for food or your heart for food um, in those moments. And then when you break the fast, I mean, even the vegetables will taste good, so that's a bonus. Um, but we'll be content with like simple Simple sustenance, not, not after one time, but over time, like if this discipline is part of your life, we'll learn to discipline ourselves. That food doesn't have to be my master. I can say no to food, right? It doesn't have to control me or be in charge of me. And we will learn temperance and gratitude. Um, I will learn that I don't live on bread alone. That's the first thing. Second, and this is really important. This is maybe a little bit different than what you're expecting. Um, it was for me when I studied, but it's not just about saying no. Uh, it's also saying yes rightly to food. It's not just a call that let's, let's all just live on bread and water for the rest of our life. No, it's, it's eating rightly, choosing rightly to delight in community and celebration. That's so important when it comes to food. Enjoy food and drink. I mean, God made it so good, right? Enjoy it. Praise him for it. Feast sometimes. But feasting is always about something else, isn't it? Feasting is never about the food. It's about some occasion around it. It's about the people you're with. I mean, it's, it's not about the food. And so celebrate milestones and big events and, and vacations and all of that, but let them serve a greater means of praise towards God, right? Delight in him. I mean, think of like Thanksgiving. That's like the easiest target when it comes to like this sort of thing. Like Thanksgiving, we gluttons, like we've made it into just a, a trough, haven't we? Like, it's just a self-centered, pleasure-seeking, at least that's how I've made it. Um, I don't know about you. Um, but like, we've taken out the, the core around it. And that that's ruins it, right? It's not as fun. It's not as enjoyable. It's like, what's, it's an opportunity. I mean, this holiday, like Thanksgiving, it's gratitude. It's, and it's meant to not just be a feast in itself, but a feast around the people that you're with, family and friends and, and outsiders maybe, coming together and breaking bread and, and enjoying together. You can still feast, right? But it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Do you see the difference? Um, still enjoy, but don't, don't make it an end. Food is a lousy end, but a great means, isn't it? And you know, even, even regular meals 
ought to be a kind of liturgy. I believe that, like a sort of, a sort of worship service daily in our homes. I mean, maybe, not, maybe not every time, and, and maybe, that, maybe that sounds completely weird to you, but eating together as, as a family and with friends, I mean, it ought to be a kind of sacrament in our lives, like a place of, of grace and rejuvenation, just like coming to, to churches. It ought to be a daily reminder of our dependence and our need for one another and, and interaction. I mean, parents, for example, like there are, there are countless studies, the best, longest lasting impact you're going to have on your kids is not shuttling them off to another activity. Like, I'm not minimizing activities. My kids are in activities, but like they're going to forget baseball and, you know, band and, you know, uh, drama. And again, those, those are valuable things. I'm not, I'm not minimizing them, but they're going to forget them way quicker than they're going to forget the liturgy of sitting, to, sitting together with people who love them and that they trust in dialogue and conversation, praying to God together for the provision that he's given and, and, and entering into each other's lives and not just, not just family, right? We are a family. And so do this, do this with others. Food is about hospitality, loving friends and neighbors and outsiders. I mean, it's actually, it's kind of hard to imagine building a meaningful relationship without food, isn't it? Like food is so integral to that. Use food and drink as the relational glue God created it to be. Not as an end, but as a beautiful means. I mean, the saddest picture is the glutton alone, right? I mean, it's just, that's a sad picture. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay to be a glutton at a party, um, live it up, you know, but reframe the delight around the people and the celebration rather than around the food itself. Last thing here, sorry, last thing. If you want to fight gluttony, if you want to stop asking food to do what only Jesus can do, then always bring Christ to the table. Let him be the guest of every meal a habit that makes food about more than just me. Pray before every meal. I mean, maybe that sounds like old-fashioned or legalistic or, or whatever, or just meaningless. Maybe, I don't know your tradition, but I mean, I, I grew up, that's always been a part of my life. And it's easy to just say, yeah, you know, I don't need to do that. God knows I'm thankful. And yet I also know how, how broken my heart is around food, how quickly, like the habits around me are about me and satisfaction and what I get out of it and eating quick and just want to, you know, just the, all the pleasure but to stop and have a new habit of, of regularly saying, God, thank you for this. And God, thanks for making it so good. Like, help me remember that the reason food is good is because you're so good. The reason it's so beautiful is because you're so beautiful. And every, let every bite be a reminder of God's faithful to do it, faithfulness to it. I mean, think about it. Like, every, every meal is an answer to prayer. We forget that, right? Because we're not, like, we're okay, right? We, we know where our next meal is coming from, but we pray. We're commanded to pray for daily bread, aren't we? So every time we sit down to eat, God has answered your prayer. He said, yes, here. Here's food and it's good and you can live another day. And every delicious morsel, reminder of the joy and satisfaction, the delights of our God. Instead of letting food replace him, let food point to him and make you love him all the more. Always bring Christ to the table. And the beautiful thing is that not only do we invite him to our tables, he invites us to his, doesn't he? And in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. Um, but first, let's again remind ourselves our hunger can never be satisfied with food. And yet it can be satisfied with this mysterious meal, this bread and this cup, his body broken, his blood poured out. Food is good, but it can never die for your sins.
It cannot make you whole, but he can and he belongs to. He died for gluttons. He took our sin upon the cross and, and offers us his life. And whatever, whatever food promises you, just remember, Jesus promises you even more and better, doesn't he? And in this meal, we do these three things, don't we? These application steps. We do all of them. We remember daily bread, that we don't live on bread alone, but we feast on Jesus, the bread of life. We come to this meal in celebration. Like it's, it ought to be a celebration. Sin is dead. Death will be vanquished. Like Christ has done that. And so we come with, with joy and delight to this, to this table. And we, we do it together. That's why we gather in groups at Christ Community. Because it's, it's meant, even this meal is to form us into relationship. And it's here we see Jesus. And we taste the eternal feast. I mean, you think food is good now, right? Just imagine the wedding supper. When death and sin are nothing more than a vague and distant memory, and even our taste buds will have been made new, and we'll, we'll, we'll eat, like, present with Jesus himself. It's only going to get better, people. And so hear these words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote so long ago, he said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money... Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? That, that which does not satisfy, basically. And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Our hunger can never be satisfied with food. But there is one who longs to satisfy you. Will we go to him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you show us our sin? God, show me the ways, the things that I'm asking food to do that only you can do. And God, instead of looking to food, I pray that we'd look to what you have done for us, to your love poured out for us, and that even in something so simple as a tiny bite of bread dipped in a little bit of juice, that that would satisfy us. But that's going to take a miracle. But we trust you to do it, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.